We have our opportunity to give back to God this morning. And often we have some time here where we talk about the different things that go on at Grace, and I think we sometimes forget that the fact that we have this, the fact that we have a place to meet, the fact that we have heat on in this building when it's cold, and I hear you have air conditioning. I should have put that on my contract, there had to be air conditioning. But your gifts don't just go to what we would call the glitzy and glamorous thing we like to talk about. They go to the necessities. I think we have to remember that everything that goes on in this church comes out of the, the kindness you show, but more importantly, the obedience you show to God's call to give. So I'm asking you this morning to, to pray, to ask God, what should I give? How can I be generous with my time and my money? God has a plan, and he invites us to be a part of it. So this morning, even the fact we have heat is part of that plan. Because in Canada, we can't meet under a tree somewhere in the middle of the winter. The fact we have this great facility is part of God's plan. So let's not only pray how can we give our money, but how can we join in that plan? How can we be part of helping youth and kids programs? How can we be part of a small group? All these things come out of what you give. I want to thank you for giving, but you don't need my thanks. Obedience to God should be a joy in itself. If you have your phone with you and God has compelled you to give right at this moment, pull out your phone. That's something I never thought I'd say in church, but pull out your phone. Use it. Then please only use it for the Bible. No Facebook, just tithing in the Bible, please. If you're sitting here going, I don't have my phone with me or I don't know what I should give, you can give all week long. We have the Tithely app. We have e-transfer. If you go to grace, www.gracecommunity.ca forward slash give, you'll find different ways you can give and set up your giving. Even you can have it automatically come out of your account. But we have an opportunity to be a part of something that is eternal. And it starts with being willing to say, God, here I am. Use me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use these gifts today and throughout the week that we receive, God, in a way that brings glory and honor to you in this, this area of Guelph, this province of Ontario, this country of Canada, and around the world. God, may we see you take what we give and turn it into something incredible. God, we know you are at work here and around the world. Help us to sense we are a part of your great and mighty plan your name we pray. Amen. I get to dismiss the kids. I was told once you can't say that at a church I was at because you never should be dismissive of kids. I found that one a little funny, but then calling them kids, which is referring to goats, I guess is inappropriate too. So dear children, you may leave according to the following instructions. Preschool. Those are of the preschool age, even if you don't know it, your parents know it, you can go out and find your teachers, have some fun, and learn about God. We're going to keep them separated, not because of rules for COVID, but because this guarantees the kids don't get overwhelmed by the larger, bigger kids who are now going to get out. Here you go, you are free elementary kids. Go find your teachers. And now for those who are even a little bigger, our grades 6, 7, and 8, our junior youth, you can go find the youth room there, and Peter will be waiting for you there, I've been told. Please come back and tell me if he's not there. I think I saw him. 
I mean, it's great to see all the youth and the kids all excited, but it makes me feel bad they're excited to leave when I start to speak. I'm okay. I'm okay. I made a promise when I started transition here that there'd be an opportunity to communicate, to talk about things that happened in the past. I have not forgotten that, but it's going to take a little more time to put that together, to understand what that will look like. I just want you to know that because people have been asking, hey, when's that going to happen? It's going to happen. My estimate is about mid-May. We have Easter coming up. It's late this year, a bunch of services. We've gone through a difficult AGM and budget time. So it's not as though it's not been thought of. It's trying to place it in a point where we don't cause it to become an interference with things that are going on. It is part of the process, but so is Easter. So is celebrating Jesus' death and resurrection. So I'm simply saying this will happen. Trust me, please. Be ready for it. We will communicate with you, give you an idea of the process. If you're a person who feels you're further along in the process, we talked about the AGM, help someone else carry their burdens. We went through this together. Well, you went through this together. I was not here. So let's heal together. And let's see God do great things. If you feel you want to talk to me earlier, that doesn't stop you. You can email me. If you go to the website, it's dave at gracecommunity.ca. Just go to the website and you can click on that funny picture of me with no hair. Uh, it shocks me when I see it. But you can click on that picture and it will send you through to my email address and I'll get back to you. We can sit and talk together. I don't know what I can offer other than a listening ear. But maybe that's all we need is to listen to one another, to bear one another's burdens and move forward. That's what a community of Christ followers does. Walks together through the difficult times. And guess what? We're going to rejoice together as God does great things. I got a little statement this morning for you that I hope you understand. It's simple, but you got to really listen to it. Worldly love is a feeling that leads to an action. Biblical love is an action that causes feelings. It's an interesting statement. It's very simple. But the truth is, if you've watched any of the romance stuff on TV or any of the rom-coms, you realize that it is about feelings. The action is spurred on by a feeling. But as Christians, our love is not based on how we feel. As a matter of fact, I would suggest often when we love truly and purely the way God intended us to do, it actually doesn't always make us feel that good. And as we go through 1 John, this section of Scripture, John actually ends up saying that. You see, the problem is if we base our actions on how we feel, our feeling of being loved or our lack of feeling of being loved will call us to act. As a matter of fact, when we feel alone, we can lash out. When we feel unloved, we can become angry. So if love is a feeling, every day how we feel will dictate how we act. When it's done to us, we don't like that, do we? When someone wakes up in a bad mood and takes it out on us, we don't like that. Let me challenge you, first of all, today, we don't like it when someone else does it. But do we define love and how we act based on how we feel? Because it means we do it too. Our spouses, our children get the best of us when we're in a good mood, but not the best of us when we're in a bad mood. But biblical love is different. It is not a feeling, but let me repeat it, it will bring out feelings. Some of them will be painful. So let's start in 1 John 3, 11 through 15. We're going to cover a fair amount of scripture. You will find that John gets pretty repetitive about love. He approaches it from different angles, but why is he getting repetitive? 
When you say something over and over again, it must mean something. When you approach it from multiple angles, it must be important. He wants to make sure we understand what it is to love as a godly person. So we're going to talk about love, and then we're going to talk about something else next week, then love again. But is that a bad thing? If we have love for one another, we have something that will survive because love is who God is. So if we have love, we have the character of God, and God is eternal, and that characteristic will exist. It has existed. It will always exist. Of course, we'll experience it in all its perfection and glory when that day comes, when we get to go to heaven, we get to be with God. We'll see love firsthand. Why do we have to explain it here on earth? Because earthly or worldly love is so perverted by the idea of sexuality. It's so perverted by the idea of feeling. And often is something offered to get something in return or offered because I feel good. This is what John says in verse 11 of chapter 3 through 15. This is a message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, when the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life. Oh boy, that's a pretty big jump to murderer. But I would think to myself when I think of Cain, if Cain was not emotionally responding to his jealousy, he would not have murdered. He may have been a little upset. But whose fault was that? Cain offered an easy offering. Cain did it the easy way. His brother went out of his way. And then he got jealous. If our emotions dictate how we love or if we love, we can end up going as far as murder. Jealousy is often the common cause for murder. Jealous of what someone has, we murder to steal. Jealous of a spouse that we don't feel is acting appropriate, domestic violence and murder comes from that. I don't think John's making a big jump. Although we may not murder, we may kill our relationships because they don't work the way we want. Cain felt less liked, less love. And he acted it out in an act of murder. Right from the beginning. First they eat the fruit, and right after that, people are killing each other. Hatred takes over. Relationship is destroyed. If we respond to love in worldly ways, there's a good chance we're going to act inappropriately and cause damage. You're probably saying, I never murder someone. That's fair. But we do cause huge damage to people we do not love. If I love based on how I feel, there'd be mornings when I would run everybody over that was in my way. There's a good chance in traffic someone's going to die. Because if I felt the way I feel sometimes with those people, like the guy in front of me who kept changing speeds all the way here. But I'm okay. I've relaxed since that. But if I based how I acted on how I felt, if it controlled me, how could I love? Because everyone here, as I get to know you, will let you down, and I will let you down. But I don't love out of my feelings. Now, in fairness to being a human being, of which I consider myself one of you human beings here, I just get a slightly higher platform on Sundays. I believe that none of us wants to be hated, and I think that is a good thing. 
I think if you set out in life to have people not like you, you probably need some help. But on the flip side of that, if you set out in life to do everything to make everyone love you and be happy with you, you've created something that first you can't obtain, and second requires you to have absolutely no standards of your own. We feel bad, and we act. But if we act and end up feeling bad and it's godly, we have one who walks with us and loves us. The biggest danger in our belief system if we base it on how we feel. What is love? Well, if you believe the Bible is God-inspired, that the Holy Spirit inspired it, then we can go to other parts of the Bible written by other people and understand what love is. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, described love this way. And you know this chapter, it's read at every wedding. This is not meant to be a, a romantic idea. But let's face it, if you truly love your spouse, you will live this way. This is kind of a list of do's and don'ts, actions we must take, because love is an action that leads to feelings, not a feeling that leads to action. You've heard it before, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. There we go, envy or jealousy. We got Cain killing people over that one. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. What a great list what love is and what love isn't. But you notice most of them require an action or the lack of an action. None of them are actually feeling statements. Kindness is not a feeling, it's an action. Self-control or taking care and being appropriate is not a feeling. I think we use the word feeling too much in our society. It became popular to say, I feel. And what we're really saying is, I don't want anybody to correct me. I could be wrong, so I'll call it a feeling. I feel like it's a sunny day. Unless you have sight issues and the only way you can take in the sun is through the feeling of that warmth, that statement's not logical. We become a society that's put everything with feelings instead of actions. We need to recognize that. It isn't about a feeling. I don't feel kind. I am kind because I love. Okay, I'm not always kind. My point being is it's an action. We step out. We do what we're called to do. Paul lays it out so well. Cain, if he truly loved his brother, would have been happy for his brother. Would have said, you gave the greater gift. He would have said, I am happy for you. But instead, out of jealousy, out of envy, he killed his brother. To love is to take an action no matter how you feel. Cain took an action because of how he felt. Worldly love is a feeling that leads to an action. If I feel in love with my wife, I become romantic. But a good husband and a good wife serve the other one no matter how they feel. It's a tall order. We'll feel this all our lives. But a good sister or brother in Christ doesn't care how they feel as much as how they serve God. Nor do they respond to how the other person treats them. Worldly love is controlled totally by feelings. Godly love says it doesn't matter. Why is this important? Well, let's look at what Jesus did. He walks around this planet 
Three years of it approximately is recorded, and every time he opens his mouth, someone wants to kill him. Jesus walks amongst the disciples, hangs out with them, and what is the first thing they do when they get a chance? They run away because they're scared. They abandon him. Now put yourself in Jesus' shoes. I'm Jesus. My best friends are around me. I know they're going to abandon me. How do I feel? Well, me and my imperfection would be, I'm not dying for you. You're not worth it. Jesus' love was not based on his feelings because I am sure he had anguish over the way he was being treated. We know from the garden, he cried. It said there was sweat like drops of blood. He was in anguish over the sins of the world that he felt and experienced, over the abandonment he felt. He yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? And yet he still acts in love. Think about that. How often in a relation have you thought yourself in a relationship, why have you abandoned me? Why do I feel alone? What's our first reaction? Is it to go serve the other person or to also distance ourselves? I would suggest if you believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man, you can understand the struggle of people abandoning you and still having to act in love. As a matter of fact, John refers to this. John, going further on in this chapter, in chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Okay, let's just stop there for a moment. Jesus Christ, perfect, God's only son, laid down his life for imperfect people. And we ought to do the same. That is a tall order. That is difficult. Now, we can come up with Jesus was perfect, so he was able to do it. But he's actually saying that we ought to act like Jesus. This is a request. There is grace, but you're not being told it's okay if you don't do it. Jesus did it out of love. You need to do it out of love. It talks to us pretty strong in those words. It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So let's take a step back. You don't even have to die. You just got to help people out. I find this very compelling because I hold on to what is mine. I do. I'm okay with giving money on a Sunday morning. I'm okay with getting a gift card for someone who's in the street begging. But I'm not sure I haven't drawn a line as to where my love stops. Will I give till it hurts? Will I give when someone's in need when it takes away from me? Because Jesus gave when we were all in need, and it took everything from him. It took his life. So it goes on to say, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. There's two things there. Our actions show our love. You know, we teach our kids, maybe you don't, but in my family, we always said, I love you. That was part of everything. I got my mother living with us now, and we say we love her all the time. It feels weird now because I'm not a little boy, and she's not a young woman anymore. She's 91. And yet, I love you, Mom, gets said all over the house. Until the day she leaves our house, we'll hear I love you. But that's a statement. The best part for me, and the shocking part, I, I just did it because it's the right thing to do, but the joy that comes out of inviting him to our table to eat with us. I didn't realize it was going to feel that good. I thought we were just doing the right thing, but there's such joy in showing love in action. 
What a great demonstration. I didn't do it for a sermon illustration. I did it because my mom needed a place to live. And yet I'm starting to realize when we live like Christ, it just feels different. It doesn't mean we're going to get along all the time. I said to my mom before she moved in, you have your apartment, we have our space. At some point, we're both going to want to go to our corners, to our rooms, and get away from each other. It's not that we stop loving. It's that we take actions to avoid further conflict. Jesus showed us that we give it all no matter what. It's not a feeling. If I based it on how I felt, there'd be days I'd throw my mom in a snowbank. We've actually used that line with her. We said, we're not throwing you. She said, well, when are you going to not be happy that I'm here? I said, we're not going to throw you in a snowbank. But there is that feeling that if we don't like her, we'll let her go. But that's not love because love is not a feeling. Love is an action that cares for the other person above and beyond ourselves. We love regardless of it. But it's also truth. There are times I have to say things to my mother that are out of truth. She did the same for me, too, when I was growing up. And sometimes love doesn't feel good if I have to say to my mother, you need to do this. My wife will tell you, we keep setting an alarm, you need to get up and walk around. I don't know what it's like to be in my 90s, but I do know each year I'm willing to sit a lot longer than the year before. We look at my mother's feet and say, they're a little purple. And we have to say, Mom, get up and walk. It's kind of reversed, isn't it? Now we're the parents. By the way, she's in great health. She just doesn't move around enough. But you see, out of love, I take the chance that we're going to have a bit of a, of a tiff, a rift between us. We may fight over this, but it's okay. We love her enough. I loved her enough to say, you realize a little clot down there may mean a stroke up here. I remember choking up, thinking that's what could happen, but you may live through it and have to live that way the rest of your life. That's a tough thing to say to your mother. But it needs to be said because we love her and want her to have a good life with us. Now, for the rest of this scripture, even for verse 18 that I read, I found the NIV difficult. So I went to the NLT. I try not to jump translations because then you try looking for the translation that matches you the most. That's not what I'm looking for here. But I want to read through this description of love from 1 John 3, 18 through 20. 18 we've already heard, but let's hear it in the NLT. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we'll be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Why is this important? Well, I said it before. Love is an action that leads to a feeling, and often when we love in truth, the feeling isn't so good. I don't want to measure it this way because I think it's unfair and you'll avoid and not enjoy the joyous times when you love and it's returned to you, but when we love people in our families and in the world the way God intended us to, by telling the truth in a loving manner, not throwing in their face, often our feelings will tell us we were not godly we were not loving. As a matter of fact, the idea of love and grace has become pretty distorted lately. Love is about making everybody happy, which is the worldly view, but we've got caught up in that. But worse still, and I said it, I think, last week, I've said it before, Satan has a level of power that we in North America ignore. Let's not forget God is more powerful, but let's recognize that Satan wants to condemn us. 
We are not supposed to be condemned because we have the blood of Jesus Christ, but Satan wants us to think we're condemned. He whispers in your ear, see, you think you love, but they don't like you, so how can that be love? I would suggest God, through his word, is yelling in your ear, no matter how you feel, I love you. Not only that, but if you love in truth and you take the action of love, don't base it on their response. You need to be righteous. Their response really doesn't matter. Look at the response to Jesus. They killed him. They put him to death when he loved, when he told the truth. They spat on him. They beat him. They whipped him. Then they killed him. That is a scary thought. But let's remember, it says, it doesn't matter how we feel. We are clear of conscience in the presence of God when we love one another because God knows all. God asks us to step out in love and just do it. I was going to put that on the poster up there, but I thought I may get sued by Nike, so I'm not going to steal that. But it would be love. Just do it. Go out and do it. Forget how it feels. Just do it. Do kindness and gentleness. Be in self-control and act appropriately. Do not envy one another. Just go out and do it. And it sounds wonderful till we leave these doors and we get in our first little tiff, little riff, little fight, and it's tough to do. But love is an action that doesn't rely on feelings to dictate what it is. Let's go further on in 1 John 3, 21 through 23. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, now let's remember here, our hearts can't condemn us because it says here, even though we may feel condemned, if we act in love, God knows us. He's above our feelings, so our hearts cannot condemn us. We have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and to love one another as He has commanded us. Ooh, these are the good verses, right? Grab a couple of words out of this one. You ready? You get what you want. Woohoo! That's what it sounds like. You can do a whole sermon around that. Maybe we should have done this before the tithing part. Just give money and you get what you want. But the Bible has context. No verse stands on its own. No verse existed when it was written. This is a letter that defines itself and sits within the Bible promises, so it must come under the authority of all scriptures. First thing, if our hearts do not condemn us, which is verse 21, why do they not condemn us? Because we have loved. We have taken an action of love out of truth and out of what God commands us to do. If we act in love and in truth, what do we get from him? We get what we want because we do what? We obey his commands. It's not a floating statement. There is context here. So what do we want? Well, if we obey his commands, we want exactly what God wants. If we're like Jesus, we do exactly what God did. He gives up his only son. Jesus dies out of love. What do I want? I should want to be governed by love, obedience to his call, and we desire to please him. That is difficult. It's difficult to do, but we need to understand context, first of all, is important, and culture. There are things said here we may not get. This is not an issue with translation where the Greek didn't quite work in the English. It's an issue of culture. First of all, we need to remember that we have misdefined love. 
We've actually made grace and love the identical thing. And what does it mean? It means whatever we want it to mean. It means everybody's happy in the end. And we've stripped down our faith to something that has no guidance to it, no bearing on reality. The other thing we do, and I'm just as guilty, I like the New Testament better than the Old Testament because I don't fully understand it. So we start separating them. The New Testament's the book of love. The Old Testament's that old one where God was in a bad mood and he did some stuff. Don't we do that? Preachers preach that way. Oh, we got grace here, but no grace there. I don't know. If you were an Israelite, you kind of realized you had grace because God should have wiped you out. If you ever went through that desert experience, God was there ready to wipe them out more than once. If you know your story of Noah, you know that God was ready to wipe everything out, but he showed grace. So what ends up happening on top of that, then we go into the New Testament and we say, well, if Jesus didn't say it, it's not true. Really? If someone says to me, here's the keys to my car, drive it, and doesn't tell me where the keys go, I still know where they go. No one changed the ignition on that car. Everything Jesus said was based on what was already given. Just because Jesus didn't say it doesn't mean it's not a command of God. Omission of something doesn't negate because it was not said. You didn't tell me not to steal out of your purses, so I guess I can do it because we didn't say it this morning. You'd say that's ludicrous. How much more ludicrous is it to say that parts of the Bible don't matter anymore because Jesus came? We need to understand that we strip away responsibility, repentance, and accountability when we start talking about love as a feeling and everybody being happy. And we extend grace, but we do not extend true love and truth. Now let's get into this context here and the culture. It says, believe in the name of his son. I don't think we get that now. My name is Dave Peaver. It's my name. It's my designation. You call me Dave. But back then, your name was your reputation. It was who you were. To believe in someone's name was to follow their teachings. You became a follower of this fellow named Jesus from Nazareth. Now we call him the Christ. Most didn't really realize that he was the Messiah. So to understand to believe in his name is not to believe that Jesus was a dude who walked around the earth and did good stuff and had good teachings. It is to identify with who he was. It was to believe that what his character is is what it is to be a good person, a godly person. So when it says to believe in the name of his son, it says to identify with him, to be like this fellow named Jesus. This fellow named Jesus said what? He said he was the son of God. So now we believe he's the son of God, which means he's from a family which has a reputation, which is God. Let's understand something else. When someone says, I am the son in their culture, I am saying I am equal to the father. Jesus didn't always say that he was God. And yet, every time he said, I am the son, or I am the son of God, he's saying he's God. There's an equality in that culture. You are the one in waiting. The firstborn is the son, but it's also to be the father as soon as his father dies. There's an equality in equating with God. He was called blasphemous for saying that. Just simply saying that he was part of the family of God, not in the way we talk about as Christians. He's saying he's God, but he went a little further. In the Gospel of John, so where John recorded what Jesus did or some of the things Jesus did and the word Jesus spoke, Jesus says, My Father has given them to me. He's talking about the sheep or us. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all. So now he's saying, I'm the Son, 
I'm equal to the Father, and the Father is greater than all. If you're a Jew at that time, you're going, you're saying you're God, and you're saying you're greater than all. You're angry. But then he goes further. I and the Father are one. When you say you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, you say you believe in the commands of God from beginning to end. Now, there are some changes. One of the understandings I come to believe more and more or understand better is that the Old Testament was a gigantic metaphor for sin and redemption that was completed by the New Testament. The Old Testament wasn't wiped out by the New Testament. The actions of the Jews in the Old Testament were to represent the fact that we are unclean. Any references to the fact that someone is unclean after an act, a sexual act was because you were passing on sinfulness to the next generation. It reminded us that we're all born into sin. A lot of those rules, God doesn't dislike sex. He designed it to make people, and people are what he loves, what he creates. Why was it unclean? Because every child is born into that sinfulness. Why do we kill lambs? If lambs take away sin, then who needs Jesus to do that? What a horrible thing to do to your son. They killed lambs to represent the sacrifice that needed to be done. The New Testament completes the Old Testament and changes the way we approach God. But it doesn't change what God has said. The approach changes. We are told we'll be left with the Holy Spirit as a deposit in us, as a guide. In the Old Testament, you had all these laws as guides. In the New Testament, the Spirit of God dwells in us, convicting us, guiding us, saying we need to be different. It didn't change anything but process. We don't follow the metaphoric ideas and laws of the Old Testament because the Spirit's constantly reminding us that we are sinful, but we're also saved. If we're listening to the Spirit of God, we're being guided towards the right direction. God didn't wipe out the definition of sin. He changed the way we approach Him when we come to Him with our sins. The Old Testament has the same value as the New Testament. We just change the way we do things because Jesus said to change them. But Jesus never said we wipe out everything in the Old Testament. To obey God's commands, to believe in the one who's named Jesus the Son of God, is to realize that the Bible actually doesn't suddenly sections disappear. They just simply are addressed differently. We need to live to please him, to obey his commands. Now there's grace, there is grace, but grace, what is grace? An excuse to sin? No, John's talked about that. Obeying his commands says we strive to be like God, to be what God has commanded. We live under his name. We live under the conviction of God's spirit. It is tough to, lead, to lead, live to please God. I think it's dangerous to try and do that in some ways because it means people may not like me because I will love differently. It means my neighbor's going to hear about Jesus and the redemptive qualities of Christ, but also the desire Christ has for us to be like him. I'm not going to feel good when I get rejected. John keeps saying, the world will hate you. Why does the world hate you? Because we love differently. We love not based on making ourselves feel good, but presenting an eternal perspective to the rest of the world. I don't need to warn you that we can become judgmental and call it love. This isn't about walking up in someone's face with a Bible and smacking them around a bit. 
but the truth cannot suffer. If we are united with Christ, if we are following Christ, we must love with the truth. The Spirit is convicting us. Why did I say that? Why do I keep talking about the Spirit? Because that's how John finishes off this chapter. Again, I know it wasn't divided into chapters, but he finishes off this thought in verse 24 with this. Those who obey the commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. The Spirit he gave us is yelling at us sometimes because we don't listen, nudging us other times to be followers of Christ, of God, and of his commands. How do we align with God? Well, I'm going to jump into another writing again, into Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. Do not mistake this. You don't get one fruit or two fruits of the Spirit. All of these fruit come out of having the Holy Spirit in us. If we are living, obeying the commands, these are not like gifts where some get some, some get others. No, the fruit of the Spirit, having the Spirit in you, leads you to love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's peace, it's forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's no need for the law because we are living as Christ intended us to live. The Spirit of God produces what? Love. What is love? An action of kindness, goodness, gentleness. It produces faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Obedience to God. When we live in obedience, we have joy, not happiness. The world hates us. That's what John says. We have joy. We have a sense that we're doing what is right. And when Satan whispers you're doing what's wrong, God knows better. We are loving as he called us to love. We have peace, not peace in our immediate circumstance, but peace with God. We have patience. You know, the worst part for me is patience. I don't know about you, but I'm getting ready for Jesus to come back. I've had enough. I've had enough of COVID. I've had enough of a world of unrest. I've had enough of wars that we don't know where they're going to lead them. But we have the patience to wait on God for his perfect timing. But the other one is we have self-control. And that takes us right back around. Godly love is an action that leads to feelings. Worldly love is feelings that lead to actions. Self-control says, I love regardless of how I feel. Lack of self-control says, I love because it makes me feel good. The fruit of the Spirit in your life will make you want to do what pleases God. Will make you want to be obedient to Him and to love others. Great ideas, but you have the rest of your life to work on this. This isn't a sermon to condemn, but to, to hopefully inspire, to align yourself with God and bear the fruit of the Spirit. I think we all should put that on our fridge or whatever you look at in the mornings and say, am I being a person who bears the fruit of the Spirit? Am I being loving? Are my actions loving? Do I feel joy in my salvation? Do I feel peace in God? Do I have patience for God and for others? Am I kind? Am I good? Am I faithful and obedient to Him? Am I gentle? And most importantly, do I have self-control or does every feeling control me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much that your commands, first of all, are full of grace. That you don't say to us, oops, you failed, you're done. But God, help us not to take advantage of your grace. Help us to love with truth. Help us to desire the best for everyone. 
Help us to have the self-control that we need to be bearers of your image. God, you showed self-control in that while they were killing your son that you love so much, you didn't step in. God, give us the self-control when we feel hurt and wounded, not to step in and find a way to protect ourselves, but to continue to love. God, thank you that your word breathes life into our lives. Help us to listen, to grow, and to gain. Thank you, God, just for being you, holy and perfect, and for loving each one of us. In your name we pray. Amen.